evidence and answers. We're seeing a lot in the news today about immigration. On the United States southern border, in Europe, and Asia, many countries are facing an immigration crisis. Does the Bible have anything to say about immigration? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Probe Ministries President Kirby Anderson, will discuss the issues of immigration, border security, asylum, and more. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, we're seeing a lot in the news about immigration on our southern border, in Europe and Asia. Many countries are facing an immigration crisis. Well, does the Bible have anything to say about immigration? Well, to help us address this issue is one of our favorite guests, Kirby Anderson. Kirby Anderson is the president of Probe Ministries and the host of a nationally syndicated radio talk show, Point of View. Kirby holds a master's degree from Yale University in Science and Georgetown University in Government. He also serves as a visiting professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and has spoken on dozens of university campuses, including the University of Michigan, Vanderbilt, Princeton, John Hopkins, the University of Colorado, University of Texas, and many more. So, Kirby... Welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Yeah, thank you for having me back again. Well, Kirby, we're hearing a lot about immigration crisis, especially now, you know, for us on the southern border, but it's been a prevalent problem in Europe and throughout Asia. So tell us a little bit about the immigration crisis that we're facing. Why is it getting so much attention now? Well, first of all, it's getting attention because of the fact that the numbers, and I'll just use uh, the United States as an example, but I've uh, traveled to other countries. Uh, For example, Hungary had to put up a wall that was very similar to the kinds of things that have been done in the United States because of individuals coming from Syria and all sorts of issues like that. But it is certainly a very significant issue because if you just take the apprehensions that have taken place at the Texas border, and then add to it just a few others, California, New Mexico, and Arizona, we're at already 2 million. In other words, the number of illegal apprehensions at the border is higher than any time since 1960. So first of all, that is immigration issue related to the border. But, Pat, I might also point out that a lot of the immigration issues don't necessarily happen at the border. For example, about 40% of the people that are in the United States illegally actually came here legally but overstayed their visas. And, of course, you can talk about people that have gotten off of ships that stayed and those kinds of things. So you start adding those numbers up. These are unprecedented. Then you have some of these news stories, for example, where you had more than 10,000 individuals from Haiti just in one area in Del Rio that had come across and had uh, actually made their way first from Haiti to South America and then moved from South America to the United States. And so there are a lot of good reasons why the issue of immigration is always in the news because it is a significant issue. It ebbs and flows a little bit. 
But then you add to that the fact that these are some of the highest numbers. And then also just one other issue that I think we'll get into is not only does it sometimes become a situation which sometimes it's too easy to get here illegally, it's sometimes too difficult to get here legally. And so some of the bureaucratic issues associated with people that do want to come to this country or to other countries is sometimes another hurdle. So for all of these reasons, that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this issue of immigration. Yes, you know, and we see that problem throughout the world, the persecution going on in Myanmar. And so Thailand has a large number of immigrants coming to its borders, those trying to come out of North Korea and those escaping the persecution they're facing there in China and other countries. So it's a prevalent problem all over the world. And Kirby, most people don't think the Bible has anything to say about the immigration issue. But does the Bible have anything to say on this issue? Well, it certainly does. And I think, first of all, we have to be very careful not to just grab one verse out of context. Uh, Pat, sometimes I do a talk show where we will talk about immigration, and we will have sometimes people pull something from the Old Testament and say, well, it says we're supposed to treat the aliens with respect. Well, of course we are. I mean, we understand that. But then they start talking about uh, some of the principles in the Old Testament, for example, in Exodus or in Deuteronomy or other passages. We'll get to that in just a minute. And I think we have to, first of all, recognize that those were specific passages for Israel, the Old Testament theocracy. Those, although intended for a theocracy, are not necessarily intended for a republic like we are in. But let's, if we can, break it down into two areas, because there are two very almost seemingly contradictory principles in Scripture that we have to talk about. On the one hand is the issue of national security. A country that does not control its borders is not a country, obviously. I think that's a kind of an intuitive idea. But at the same time, as I alluded to just a minute ago, we should treat citizens and aliens with respect. So let me take the first one, and that is we recognize that the Bible does say that we are to be subject to governing authorities. That's in Romans 13 and other passages. We recognize that the government does not bear the sword for nothing, and that's in Romans 13 verse 4. So the first issue, whether you look at Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2 or a variety of other passages, are if a government establishes a set of rules, and it doesn't matter whether it's a government in Germany or a government in Hungary or a government in South Africa or a government in the Philippines or a government in the United States, we are to obey those in authority. And so the first issue, obviously, is is that when you have people that come to a country illegally, they've already violated one of the fundamental laws of that country. Or if they come there legally and then overstay their visa, again, those individuals are illegal. And for the people that wonder, well, shouldn't we always always be uh, open to anybody that wants to come to our country, well, that can be something we can address, what that percentage is. But again, when people make that decision against the actual rules of the country, we shouldn't be surprised if that country then wants to deal with uh, some kind of prosecution of those individuals that have violated those laws. And at the same time, we have, back to the Old Testament, very strong principles that borders are important and borders should actually be implemented. Deuteronomy 32.8 reminds us that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when they divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people. And even in Proverbs, it talks about not moving the ancient landmarks that your fathers have set. 
So there's a lot of principles, and we get into that in more detail in just a minute, about some of the principles about obeying those individuals that have, are supposed to obey those laws. But there is, of course, a second principle, and that principle has to do with the fact that the Bible does talk about those individuals that were in the land as aliens or sojourners. And as a result, for example, Exodus 22 says, do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And we have lots of principles, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, that actually indicates to the nation of Israel, that indeed they were to actually have uh, compassion towards those individuals, and especially, as you just alluded to a minute ago, some of the people that come to this country are actually wanting to get asylum, have asylum granted, so because they are fleeing persecution. And so we want to treat individuals, even if they're here illegally, we want to treat them with compassion, with dignity. We want to feed them. We want to house them. And even if we decide to deport them and return them back, to do that in the most humane way possible. So we have two principles, one in terms of holding to the rule of law, and number two, the principle of as we in actually enforce those laws, we should also be compassionate towards the individuals that may be here, either illegally or even those who are actually seeking refuge from the kind of persecution they might have faced. And so those are two, I think, key biblical principles that should apply to the way in which we talk about this issue of immigration. Yes, and Kirby, you know, jumping on top of that, you know, how should we consider the rule of law when it comes to immigration? And I think what we have to recognize is is that a country has to obviously enforce its borders. You can understand very quickly if any one country, especially let's talk about small countries. I mean, the United States and China and others uh, already have lots of people. But imagine if just a lot of people one day decided to go into El Salvador or just even the number of people that have come through South America that have gone and uh, set up domicile in Mexico. These kinds of issues are really important and because you can very quickly lower the standard of living of individuals. You can strain the financial resources and all the rest. And there are sometimes people that say, well, those of you that want to implement the rule of law, you're not compassionate. We're saying, no, we actually want to be compassionate for the people that come here. I can take you, and certainly you could take a camera to a lot of places that I have been to over these last couple of years where you see school districts are just straining at the ability to try to even come close to assimilating vast numbers of individuals who have arrived in that school district whose parents are either not with them or even if they're there have not been paying taxes because they are immigrants, illegal immigrants themselves. These children, uh, for example, don't speak English. They've had very little education, in some cases dealing with certain kinds of diseases and on and on and on. And then to see the incredible strain on the teachers, on the administrators, sometimes on the hospitals, on the emergency rooms and all of that. That's why we talk about this because a complete flood of aliens and immigrants can so quickly overwhelm a country to not be able to assimilate those. And we have seen that, for example, in the number of refugees that left Syria and tried to find ways to make their way into, ultimately, they wanted to go to Germany, but they would come to some of these other Eastern European countries. Just again, the impact that had on some of those smaller countries and even the impact it's having in this country. And so 
we're not talking about the rule of law just to be mean-spirited, but we're simply saying for the people that are here, and even the ones we bring here, because we do bring about a million people here every single year through legal immigration, we want to be able to treat those individuals well. And another issue of that rule of law is I think most people listening to this right now have been in a situation where they've been on a line, either in a grocery store, a movie theater, or somewhere, and then you see somebody jump in front of the line. And you go, that's not fair. Well, you have these individuals that I've interviewed over the years that now have come to this country, and I've interviewed people that have gone through legal immigration from Canada and South Africa and Japan and from Egypt and Mexico and El Salvador and Canada, you know, all sorts of places anyway, and England. And as a result, sometimes they say we always were frustrated that while we were taking the time year after year to do what we could to eventually come to this country and then even go through the process, become natural citizens, we were seeing other people, because of their geographical proximity, were able to just walk across the border and show up in this country, and it was like they were cutting in line. So that's another aspect of this idea of rule of law that I think needs to be considered when we talk about this issue of immigration. And also, Kirby, those coming into another country, immigrating into another country, must agree to abide by the laws of the land that they're immigrating to. And instead, we have situations where people will migrate in and say, well, you know, I want to go by the laws where I came from or some set of religious laws that supersede all laws. There are some who hold to Sharia law, saying this is the perfect law of heaven and we want that instituted in this country. And so that's also an issue, isn't it? It certainly is. And in my most recent book on Islam and terrorism, I actually have written a book years ago, as you well know, on Islam, but I did this new one because I realized I'd never really addressed two issues. One, terrorism. I have a whole chapter on terrorism, but also a whole chapter on Sharia law. And I've been kind of paying attention to how even in the United States, in some localities, primarily places where there's a lot of Muslim population, like in Dearborn, Michigan, and other places, where they're already moving to this idea of Sharia law. And this comes by having a vast number of individuals who come from another country who, like you said, don't want to necessarily follow the American Constitution, but instead want to use their growing numbers to implement Sharia law or other kinds of legal principles. And so, again, we should always want to do as much as we can to bring people, when they do come to this country, put them through a process of naturalization so that they then, at the end, know a great deal. First of all, they speak English. Second of all, know how the country works, how the political system works, and know a little bit about history. And I've often said, Pat, that actually then these naturalized citizens are actually better citizens sometimes than people born in the United States. Because if you looked at some of the commentaries I've written over the last couple of years, you see that the average high school graduate sometimes can't even tell you what are the three branches of government, know nothing about the Bill of Rights, hardly know anything about our history. Somebody who's going through the process of naturalization knows that, and more importantly, probably has demonstrated a love for this country and a desire to be a productive citizen. So we're not saying we shouldn't bring in individuals from other countries, but our goal should be to ultimately assimilate them 
with the American experience so that they will be good citizens. And when people come in here and decide that they're going to break the laws of the country and implement a different kind of legal structure, uh, this is a quick way to completely have a culture completely go crazy and ultimately lose any kind of control and eventually end up in sort of a moral, legal, ethical anarchy. And that's not what we want. We certainly want every country on this planet to have something that believes in the rule of law and justice, due process, and the things that we take for granted here in the United States. Yes, and even in Israel, immigrants were welcome to come in and be a part of the people of the nation of Israel, but they had to abide by the laws of the land. They couldn't come in and do child sacrifice and their pagan kind of idolatry and things like that. So to be enforcing the rules of law of the land and for immigrants to understand when you come into a country, you agree to abide by the laws of the country. That's a biblical principle there, isn't it? It certainly is. And that gets into the other one. When we talk about uh, these verses, and there are quite a number of them in the Old Testament that talk about having compassion towards aliens and immigrants. One of the things I try to point out very quickly is you don't want to always try to take that verse out of context. Because, for example, if indeed you did come into the ancient land of Israel, one of the requirements was that you, as a foreigner, had to enter into a covenant to obey God. Now, that is, again, something that's required in that Old Testament theocracy, but it's not something we require today. Now, we do require something similar, and that is swear allegiance to the country that you're in or the country you're joining. In other words, oftentimes we require in some of these countries where you renounce your citizenship of another country to become a member of this country. That's not always the case, but since we're talking to people that are listening all over the world, sometimes it is. But that's very different than having to say, well, no, you have to obey God. No, we don't require an individual coming into the United States of America actually have to say, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe God, and I believe the Bible. We allow people that don't believe the Bible and don't believe in God to actually become citizens as well. But it's a good point. In other words, Israel really ran into all sorts of problems in the Old Testament when all of a sudden you had people that were worshiping Baal, Marduk. They were actually following the Canaanite gods and Dagon and all sorts of stuff. I mean, you can realize that is the disaster and really part of the Old Testament is a testimony of what happens when you no longer hold to a true faith and you allow other religions to come in and pervert you and in a sense seduce you into false gods. Yeah, so Kirby, why is there such a push for a pathway to citizenship. We're really seeing a lot of that in the news today. Why is there such a strong push? Well, part of it is is that, uh, just to give a little history, back in 1986, we had what was now called the Immigration Reform and Control Act. At the time, it was called the Simpson-Mazzoli Act, and this was when Ronald Reagan was president. And the argument was, look, we have all these immigrants that are here illegal. And again, I know sometimes people don't like the word illegal immigrant, but whatever phraseology you want to use, an unauthorized person in this country. <laughs> and as a result, they came up with a compromise that said, look, we will grant amnesty to these individuals and put them on a path to citizenship. But we also require that we will require employers to make sure 
that they hire individuals that they know the immigration status of individuals so that they're not hiring illegal immigrants and taking advantage of them, and that we will also secure the border. Well, we were good on the amnesty, and we were pretty bad on everything else. And so as a result, we now have gone, you know, the phrase that people use all the time is we have 11 million illegal immigrants. Well, the bottom line is we've been hearing people say we have 11 million illegal immigrants for decades. So I think the number is probably more in the 40 million number, 30, 40 million. I'm not even going to try to estimate what it is, but it's a lot larger. And when you go and do Google searches, you get different numbers. So I'm not even going to try to say that that's the accurate number. But you do have a lot of people here who are not citizens and are here illegally. And so the question is, well, what do we do with them? And the first group that uh, especially President Barack Obama tried to address are what are called DACA. That would be Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals. What these are are individuals that are here in this country who were born in this country but whose parents are here illegally. In other words, the parents came here illegally and they were born on American soil. And so the assumption is, based upon one kind of interpretation of the 14th Amendment, is if you were born here, then you're an American. And so you're saying, well, these people and these young children, and not so young now because some of them are young adults, they've only been in this country. They've only learned English. They are not able to speak Spanish or Portuguese or whatever it might be, whatever country they came from. So the bottom line is we should probably provide some pathway for those at least who are American citizens to actually be completely you know, implemented into the American culture and no longer face deportation. But then very quickly, Barack Obama said, well, then let's go to not only DACA, but DAPA. Now we'll talk about the parents and try to grant it to them. And of course, as time goes on, what you're talking about is now under the current administration, under Joe Biden, he would like to make almost all of these individuals uh, have a pathway to citizenship. And I think there's a very good reason, which I think you're hinting at, and that is the assumption is made that especially since so many of these individuals are from Mexico or Latin America, our tendency is to believe that they would tend more likely to vote Democratic than Republican. Lest anybody think that that is just trying to read politics into this situation, you have the uh, current Secretary of uh, Homeland Security who has said very little about the individuals coming here across the border from Mexico or other countries. And in just a minute, I want to talk about the fact that a large percentage of these are what are called OTMs, other than Mexico, but anyway, but has said very little about that, but has been very critical about Cubans coming to Florida. Now, there may be a very good political reason for that, because it turns out that various Cubans that have been unable to get on rafts or boats from Cuba and come to Florida, when they then settle in like Little Havana, places like that, they almost always tend to vote Republican. And so you can see that the current administration has been very critical about Cubans coming to Florida, but has said much less about Mexicans coming into this country. And then, if that's not enough, you start looking at the fact that when these individuals cross the border, and whether it's at Rio Grande or El Paso, Laredo, Del Rio, or even in Arizona and Tucson or all the way down in San Diego, 
many of those individuals then are put on buses or planes and taken to other parts of the country, sometimes in what are oftentimes perceived as red states. So there are some political implications to the issue of immigration, and I think there's a lot of different ways looking at some of the news stories to figure out why there has been such a push for a path to citizenship. But we're going to have to come up with something. I mean, we're not going to deport Let's say the number is 30 million or 40 million. We're not going to. De- we know we're not going to deport that many individuals, but we also can't continue down the road of allowing what looks like now. These are just two million people that have actually been apprehended by ICE. I think Pat, you and I know that if we have two million people that we've apprehended. We know that the actual number that have crossed the border is even more, even though we recognize that some of that 2 million are people that have come back and tried to come through again, so they're repeats. But it illustrates again that we're just changing the whole demographics of the country, and that's why there's been a real push to try to provide some kind of path to citizenship for these people, especially if they were born here or have been here for more than 10 or 20 years. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharan. Let me live. Let me live.